Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but stands fast forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One way of seeking to understand the stories we find in the Bible, particularly the gospel stories of Jesus, both his parables and his encounters with real people, is to place ourselves into the story, to assign the characters to different people or situations in our own lives, to attempt to understand how they might speak to us today. In other words, to put our story into the broader narrative of God's story. Talking about the story of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman with some colleagues this week, I was determined to situate ourselves and our continuing conflict with the coronavirus into the encounter, into this conflict, really, between Jesus and this woman. At first, I decided that we were Jesus, always a dangerous move in this game, (laughs) and that COVID was the woman. This Gentile woman, coming from out of nowhere, it seems, coming from outside the people of Israel, coming to Jesus when he just wants to be left alone, her persistence, changing his plans, changing his mind even, Well, that seemed good at first. COVID has changed my plans from last March until this morning, really. But then I thought, no, that's not quite right. It's really the other way around. We are the woman and Jesus. Jesus is COVID. (laughs) Well, Well, I won't actually subject you to my twisted logic trying to figure that one out. After thinking through that, particularly bizarre scenario for longer than I should have, I gave up. I gave up because I'm sick of talking about COVID, yes, but really because I realized that by going down these strange rabbit holes, I was trying to force my will upon the scripture, trying to make it fit into my box rather than the other way around. Neither we nor COVID are Jesus and this woman. There's actually something really remarkable happening in this story, if only I can get out of the way and tell it. Christians have always claimed that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. Jesus is God come to be with us, God come to be one of us, divine, yes, but human, also yes. And here we find a very human Jesus. He has an argument with someone, and he loses. A Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile, someone outside of the family of God's chosen people, Israel, 
She comes to Jesus. Her daughter is sick, and she needs his help. But he doesn't want to help. She's not an Israelite. She's not one of his kind. She's not of the people to whom he was sent to save. You see, the Messiah was to be the heir of King David, the savior of the Jewish people, to save them from their enemies, not to save their enemies. Let the children be fed first, he says to her. For it is not fair to take the children's food and to throw it to the dogs. It's an awful reply, a terrible thing to say to someone, then and now. The woman's rebuttal, however, is stunning and swift. Sir, she says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She doesn't dispute his point. There's no trying to convince him that as a Gentile she's worthy of his love or respect or even his notice. Instead, she finds his weak spot. She takes his argument, she flips it on its head. Okay, I'm a dog then. Even the dogs get food from the table. My daughter might not be one of your chosen people, but she needs to be well. And with just that, Jesus concedes. For saying that, you may go, he says. The demon has left your daughter. Jesus has lost the argument and he admits it. This very human, very prejudicial Jesus has embarrassed interpreters of Scripture for just about 2,000 years. Some try to make allegories out of it, like I wanted to with COVID. Others insist that Jesus must have known what he was doing the whole time. But some have been braver. Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, admits what is really happening here. She catches Christ with his own words, Luther says. He compares her to a dog. She concedes it and asks nothing more than that he let her be a dog. Where will Christ take refuge, Luther asks. He is caught. Jesus is bested, and he realizes it. It is the woman's persistence, her wit, and ultimately her faith that carries the day. This Gentile woman refuses to accept that Jesus cannot save her daughter just because she's a Gentile. You can do this She's saying to him, you can save my daughter. I have faith that you can and that you will. The woman sees Jesus for who he is with that clarity that so many Gentiles have in these stories. 
she recognizes not just the faulty humanity in Jesus, but his divinity, too, his power to save. And with the graciousness of his divinity, he lets her teach him a lesson, and he saves her daughter. And in so doing, he changes. To be a human who is alive is to change. Jesus can be no exception to that. And so from this point on in the story, Jesus' attitude to the Gentiles is changed. This woman has seen Jesus not just for who he is, but for what he's about. It will be Jesus who will bring the grace that God has bestowed upon Israel to the whole world, to the Gentiles. And we heard what comes next. Jesus goes on to the Decapolis. It's another region full of Gentiles. And there, he heals a man from deafness and a speech impediment without another word without an argument. Jesus has changed. But what about us? I still want to put us in the story. I can't help it. I do believe there is good news for us in this story, and not just because most of us here are Gentiles. I believe there is good news for us, for you, and for me, sitting here today in this church. Good news for those who are at home, still on Zoom. There's good news for us, exhausted by COVID, still apart from one another, still not living and working and worshiping the way we want to. I think we're in this story after all. But here I must turn to another brave theologian, the late Bill Plaker of Wabash College, my alma mater in Crawfordsville. In his commentary on this passage, Dr. Plaker points us to the woman's faith as the blow that ends the argument, her faith as the key that unlocks the puzzle. She has shown great faith in Jesus and his power to save, and he has responded, well, pretty brutally, pretty insensitively. God sometimes responds brutally to our faith, too, Dr. Plaker admits. We put our trust in God, and one disaster follows another. We're all here this morning, I'm guessing, because we've come to believe, like that Syrophoenician woman, that Jesus is the one to save us, that he has the words to eternal life, that his body given for us gives us life. But friends, life is really hard. How is Jesus saving us from this virus? How is Jesus saving you from racism, from poverty, or from cancer, from that feeling that if people knew who you really were, they'd want nothing to do with you? What do we do when we've been slapped in the face and called a dog 
just for asking to be made well. We put our trust in God, and one disaster follows another. Friends, we can be the Syrophoenician woman. We can try on her faith. She doesn't get the answer from Jesus that she wanted, but she doesn't give up. She knows that Jesus, God incarnate, the Word made flesh, she knows that Jesus will save her daughter. She cannot imagine that in the end, Jesus will withhold his grace from her. And she's right. She wins the argument. She demands it of Jesus because she has faith that he won't fail her. What if our faith were like hers? What if our faith were as stubborn as hers? From this, Dr. Plaker concludes that our faith must be such that even when God's goodness is concealed, we will not imagine that the God we know in Jesus Christ will withhold his grace. Maybe God's goodness is concealed from you or from all of us right now. Maybe life lately has felt like an argument with Jesus. But friends, in Jesus Christ, God cannot withhold his grace from you. He will not. Don't just take my word for it. Take the word of this remarkable Gentile woman who believed in who Jesus was who Jesus is, the one who's come to save us, the one who, after the argument is over, will save us, all of us.